Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. We have a special guest today. It's Manuel Vaith, who is the area manager for Transfermarkt USA. Welcome, Manuel. How are you? Good, good. How are you, Phil? All Doing, good? Yeah, yeah, really well. Um, it's always an, um, an honor and a pleasure to talk to you, so thanks for doing this today. I know you've been, uh, you know, you're gearing up for Champions League stuff today, right? Yeah, it's a busy day today. And um, that off. national team roster dropped as well. U.S. men's national team roster dropped. Um, yes, it did, and it's on Transfermarkt already. I did that this morning, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's been a busy day. It's been a busy week. Um, to be honest with you, though, the international break is always um, a quieter time for us. So I'm actually having next week off, which is something I'm really looking forward to. Nice. Uh, just to get a little bit of a break, um, have a week off, um, do a little bit fewer work. I'm heading up uh, Vancouver Island to a place called Tofino where I'm going to do some surfing. Um, so, yeah kind of just getting everything in order now for the next few days and then i'm gone for a week which is going to be great that is great yeah thanks to you and i know i know very well the uh, geography of vancouver island i will <laughs> we'll never get that wrong again um but let's talk about your trip here you were in st louis for that opening game and i want to open up we're not going to bury the lead here i want to hear everything about your thoughts about that whole opening day experience in st louis yeah, it was great. I mean, um, I think we couldn't have asked for a better day, right? The from <laughs> I told you, told you this already, but I was uh, in Los Angeles the week before, where I was supposed to do the Rose Bowl game, right? <laughs> and <laughs> it was literally covered in snow and rain and flooding. And um, then a week later, I had to St. Louis, and it's what twenty degrees Celsius. Uh, I don't know what's at the Fahrenheit around, you know, sixty-eight something. Um, and it's a sunny, warm day and um, beautiful. You know, the entire surroundings around that game, which is brilliant, right? Um, I remember walking to the match um, the day off and the lights just popped because of the sunset that we had, right? And mm-hmm. um, taking some pictures of the stadium and it's just, it all looked very spectacular. So I think from from that sort of perspective, we couldn't have had a better day. Um, of course, I think it would have still been full. It would have still been great, even if it had been cold, right? Um, we, both, we both were there at the Leverkusen game yeah. <laughs> where it was freezing. and um, But it just, I think it just added something special to the atmosphere. And then, of course, you go into this sort of game and it's loud. It's really loud, the atmosphere inside the stadium. I think um, the Luligans, um, everyone who got involved in this did such a brilliant job of making it such a difficult place for the opponent. And then even when Charlotte went up um, to that competi header, he still had the sense that sooner or later St. Louis were going to going to overturn this result, right? And it's it just that. And I think having this 3-1 victory in the end just further added to what is pretty much a perfect day um, for, for the city, for the club, for everyone involved at the club. Um, I think it's set uh, in many ways. It kind of set the a high standard, of course, that you that now everyone in the city will have to meet um, mm-hmm. going forward. But I have no concerns in that regard. I think St. Louis waited for a very long time to have this this the stadium, the city, um, given this club. And um, yeah, it's it was a I would say it was a pretty much perfect day all around. 
Yeah. So it was a really awesome day for me too. And one of the best things was, you know, seeing all my friends there that I knew mm-hmm. from St. Louis FC. And then, you know, I got to cap off the evening meeting you and, and your friend, Andy Deosa. You always bring someone really kind and friendly with you on these <laughs> trips. And uh, he did not disappoint from Yahoo Sports. He's a writer as well. If you want to check him yeah. out, he wrote an article on the day as well. But, um, you know, Santiago came over and a few other friends in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And um, it was cool to talk to you and Andy about... Um, you'd been to, I think you'd both been to the Charlotte home opener, very first one and the Austin. No, one. I have not. I oh, was okay. not a Charlotte opener. Um, Andy has been, yeah. I haven't been, um, no, but it was that cool to hear him talk about that and to yeah. kind of hear you talk about kind of your experiences in, in Bundesliga and some of the best, yeah. you know, fan environments in the world. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think people would like to hear some of the things you said about that, um, in St. Louis. Yeah, I think. I just, uh, the noise, you know, the breast box is very high up. It's pretty much right underneath the roof, right? Um, so you have the lower ball and then you have this, it's almost like a terrace um, or balcony rather where, where we sit, right? And it's just a full row and it was really loud. Um, the experience up there, um, it kind of reminded me of a Champions League or Europa League night in Frankfurt, which is probably the loudest stadium in, in Germany. Um together with the Signale Duna Park in Dortmund, right? So it kind of reminded me of that. It was it was very, very loud. Um, the noise up there was deafening, um, which is what you want, right? Uh, that's that's exactly the sort of atmosphere you want to create. And yeah, I thought from the TIF on, onwards, um, I think the only little interruption that we had was when Charlotte scored, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the only time that it got a little bit quieter, but... Um, yeah, no, it, it it sounded really good. I think the stadium is kind of built perfectly. Uh, you know, I, I think there's sort of a trend now that you see um, around MLS. I got this with a Dignity Health Sports Park, and um, I think it's called uh, BMO Stadium now, right, in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I think those stadiums are, are kind of like the blueprint, blueprint of what an MLS stadium should be like. Um, I hear good things about Nashville as well, right? Yeah. Um, haven't been there yet, so I, I, I can only go by what I've been told. Um, I've seen Austin Stadium. I think that's that's a really great facility as well. I think those, and St. Louis is very much in, in that kind of fold. I think we have a blueprint now of what a stadium should look like and what it should feel like in this league. And I think St. Louis pretty much hit the, the nail on the head there in terms of what they've created. A, the, the size of the stadium is perfect, right? The, the way the atmosphere is kind of funneled back onto the field is, is brilliant. And um, yeah, I think if you are a club, looking to build a stadium those are the sort of stadiums that you would want to look at and then of course the fans do the rest right you need to have an active fan group and have active fan support and again i just uh, want to point out like yeah the, the noise was was very good so keep it up <laughs> yeah well i mean that's exactly what i wanted to go to next is like can mm-hmm. st louis fans keep that up uh, you know you kind of said that earlier is if that keeps mm-hmm. going it's we're gonna have something absolutely special here uh but not just the fans i think yeah. st louis is off to a hot start and so i'd like to hear what you think about that hot start and i'm, I'm really curious because you know, no shortage of pressing teams in the Bundesliga. And so, yeah. you know, some of the people are saying that pressing really helps you early on. Other teams are more likely to mess up more often because they're not ready um, mm. for the season. And another thing is just physically lasting through the season. Can you talk about what teams in Germany do and, and whether you see St. Louis falling off at all in, in a similar way? 
Well, German efficiency, right? To get uh, <laughs> those projected three wins in the first three games. I think there's quite a lot of people out there that would like to <laughs> like to change the season predictions now. Absolutely. Um, it's a really good question, I think, that, that you're asking there in terms of um, this, this high press, right? Um, it's, a, it's a style of football that was created by Ralf Rangnick, um, who first you know, came to prominence in, in the 90s in, in Germany and then uh, worked at Hoffenheim and then at Leipzig, um, which is why it sometimes gets these energy drink brand, which is not quite correct because it's like a few clubs in Germany play it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it's more of a Ralf Rangnick style of football. Um, and Lutz and um, the people that he's hired, they're all very heavily influenced, of course, by the time in Hoffenheim, right? So want to point that out. But yeah, German teams play this press a lot. Um, you watch the Bundesliga, you, you see this high press a lot, um, which is why <laughs> Stefan B my colleague Stefan Bienkowski and I on the Gegenpressing podcast always joke that mm -hmm. no one in Germany can defend, right? Because that's really not um, what what they dare, dare to do. They, they, they play a very high line, they play a very aggressive high line, and they try to disrupt the, the the opponent before they can even get out of their own third, which of course then also leads at times to defensive um, weaknesses, mm -hmm. right? Um, it means that also that you have to have a goalkeeper who can play with the ball on his feet. That's why they signed Berkey. Um, it needs, needs that you have to have someone who can play a little bit further up um, as well, right? Um, so you, that creates awkward situations for you defensively. But it also means that in, in, in the attacking third, you're creating a lot of turnovers and situations where you can benefit. Um, we've seen St. Louis do that twice already, right? Where they benefited because their attacking players were very high up. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about gifts, but that's by design. And I think to answer your question about the high press, I mean, MLS is a very physical league. Um, you see, you have a schedule that is very demanding. Um, we are now still in a situation where the climate across the continent is very similar. Once we get into the summer, um, that's when it gets hard, right? Because you can go to Colorado, you play at altitude, and then maybe the next week you're in Houston and it's, it's 40 degrees Celsius out and <laughs> the humidity is like 100%. And, um, you know, then that's when that's when you, when you these players really have to start working. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how sustainable that, that style of play is going to be throughout the season. Um, I think it is a really good way of kind of decoding this league because not many teams know the style of play and know how to play the style of play. And if you want to have a successful season, I think St. Louis needed to come out of the gate very strongly because you need about around 40 points, I think, to make the playoffs, right? Um of course, the format has changed. The top nine now make it That's in, true, yeah. right? Um, but I think we're now getting into an area where if they can keep this up, this level of play can keep this up, they're going to win quite a lot of games. Um, how sustainable is it going to be? I don't know. Um, that is that is a question I think that still needs time. The sample size is really small still, right? Um, and we have to kind of see how how they are able to go through this entire season. I, I like to have 10 games before I really have, make any kind of judgment on seeing, okay, well, this is the style of play. This is how it works. Um, does it actually make a difference for them? Do they drop off? Do they not drop off? And then, of course, when the season is over, it would be really interesting to see how it played out over the course of an entire season. Um, and I think these, there's some, some evidence markers that we still need before we actually say, okay, this works or it doesn't work.
Yeah, it was interesting. You know, you said something about like, do MLS teams know how to play this style? It is kind of new, and it's even mm-hmm. more new to the Western Conference. It seems like you know, I think Vancouver presses a decent amount, and LAFC seem they seem to be two of the more pressing teams, but they're nothing mm-hmm. like this. This is this is intensity and, and chaos in a way. Well, they try to create chaos by design, right? Yeah. Um, and the way MLS rosters are designed too is. There's that, that meme that I like to use with the, the, the sports car that in the front is a sports car and in the back is essentially just like, uh, you know, an old timer because like teams, uh, <laughs> teams te- because of the salary cap, most of the money is usually spent on attackers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and which then means that a lot of the, 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 the spend on defense is usually an afterthought. And by the time we get the goalkeepers, it's like, well, we have our 200,000 left over. Let's just sign some guy from, I don't know, the Czech fourth division or something. I'm sounding harsh. It's not true, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. And um, I think because of that, there's not a lot of goalkeepers in MLS that can play with the, with the ball on the feet. Even some of the best goalkeepers, and we had um, Max Crepeau at the Whitecaps um, for quite some time, who's considered one of the better keepers in MLS. And he's now at LAFC. He's not good with his feet hmm. in comparison to some of the other keepers that you have, right? So when you press high, you can put these goalkeepers under pressure. And it seems like that the modern style of goalkeeping hasn't even hasn't really arrived yet in MLS. The only goalkeeper that really had that sort of skill set was right away sold, right? And that's Zach Steffen. Um, so I think it's really interesting that St. Louis almost says, okay, well, we know everyone orders goalkeeper. They're good on the line. They make good stops. But if we press them with the ball and if we dig on to all struggle, every single one of them. Mm. So that's a weakness that you can explore. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. I love that. Yeah, I, I think all a lot of American pundits especially are saying, "What can he stop a ball? Can he stop a ball? That's what wins games. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I love that you phrased it. But the rest it of the world has moved away from that. Like, yeah. I'm not, I mean, it was 2014 that Manuel Neuer sort of became the prominence. That's almost nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're getting to a point now where it's really silly, where we just think goalkeepers are shot stoppers. I mean, they are, but that's, what, 20, 25% of, of the game? these days yeah um i mean they're essentially an extra player on the field and the entire rest of the world has gotten there yet and the moment a mls team does it you have a bunch of pundits out there who don't seem to quite understand what the rest of the world is doing saying oh why are you signing a goalkeeper like that why are you spending so much money it's like well yeah because he can play with the ball on his feet like he Berkey can also stop the ball that's great but you know 60 percent of what a goalkeeper does is not stopping the ball so yeah. you know you know we've gone we've gone to a little bit of a different area and if you if you then have a guy who can play with the ball on his feet you can move your entire back line a good 20 25 yards further up mm-hmm. and that gives you a massive advantage yeah that's and that's something you know these pundits tend to look at stats a lot and so we just maybe st louis can help mm-hmm. them get some more stats on and goalkeepers possessing the ball and, and we'll further the league in that way uh there i mean one of many su- surprises and additions that st louis might be adding to mls statistics this year uh, but there's <laughs> one more thing i wanted to talk about that you mentioned um uh, because i think american fans and especially even me like i i like to mm-hmm. think that i nerd out pretty hard but you know there's this idea that st louis is going to be this energy drink 
playing soccer. And, but there's a difference, you know, Lutz used to talk about us being more similar to Hoffenheim and, and the creator of, of the pressing system that you mentioned. Yeah. And so can you distinguish the difference between some of the extreme, um, you know, New York Red Bull style energy drink soccer, maybe some of the RB Leipzig at their most extreme um, years ago, um, differentiate mm. that to what you're seeing in St. Louis or perhaps what you see in Hoffenheim? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of pushback when I um, suggested in the past that this is energy style football. And I think we need to really move away from that term because it's it's silly. Hmm. Um, you know, Red Bull didn't come up with the style of football. They were influenced by someone, by Ralf Rangnick, right, who brought us in across the board. Um, but really the style of football was created elsewhere. Um, there's a lot of people that came before Ralf Rangnick that created this. And Ralf Rangnick didn't come up with this idea at Red Bull. He came up with this, as he said, at this idea at Hoffenheim. Hmm. And this, we need to go back all the way to 2009, 2010. Uh, sorry, uh, 2008, 2009, when Hoffman uh, got promoted and then really, really had a big impact on the Bundesliga in their first year right away, right? Um, with this high-style pressing game, um, really kind of trying to put pressure on the opponent right away, uh, a more fluent style of attack, um, and from there, really, this, the style of football kind of came across the board in Germany. Um, by the time Leipzig got promoted to the Bundesliga, and they came in and played this energy ball, um, that were already playing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jurgen Klopp was already playing it with Borussia Dortmund, had won two German championships of it. You know, that, at that point, the style of that style of football was already old um, because. Jurgen Klopp had been influenced by someone like Rangnick. So you really have to kind of energy style football. I, I know we like to use these catchphrases and these kind of sort of ideas, but it really kind of um, rewrites the history books a little bit if we go that way, because it, it's not true. <laughs> it's just, that's not how, how the style of football came to be. The style of football came to be because, you know, it was successful, but it was used by a lot of other clubs before, before RB Leipzig used it. Right. And in, in with that also other teams um and i think you know i have a podcast called game pressing yeah. for example right and that's a term that made international headlines because of Jurgen club um and i i think you need to go back to 2011 2012 um yeah so i i think it's just a little bit of a silly kind of catchphrase that we like to use but I would just say, let's just call it high press attacking football mm-hmm. um, or high energy football. I think that is an even better way of using it. I think no one at the club likes the term um, energy drink football or Red Bull style of football because it's a little lazy, I think, to describe it that way. Yeah, and that's kind of, I don't know if you can get further detailed um, in that regard, but mm. would you say there's a difference between the way St. Louis looks to what, say, New York Red Bull, the way they implement this gegenpressing pressing or, or however you want to call it? I don't even know if Red Bull even play that kind of style of football. <laughs> um, I mean, even Leipzig have have sort of moved away yeah. from it. Um, Nagelsmann plays a, a very different style. Um, of football and he had had his fingerprints all over that Leipzig side right yeah. um, Bayern Munich play of course with a high line now um, where he's now right but um, that defensive high line is used across the board anywhere in international football because most teams now have goalkeepers who can play with the ball on their feet <laughs> <I love it. laughs> which gets us back to the to that earlier topic but I think that they that 
what we're really talking about here is talking about a style of football that is used by a lot of teams around the world, right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about, okay, here's New York Red Bull. This is the type of football that they're playing. Uh, when in fact, Gerhard Struber at Red Bulls maybe plays a completely different brand now, right? Um, yeah. He play So it's, I think we have to be sort of careful throwing them into that because I think St. Louis is, is moving into a completely different direction in, that, in their style of football that they want to play. I agree. And actually, let's talk a little more. We'll get a little bit out of the weeds. Thank you for helping me understand that. Um, I hope it didn't get too nerdy for everyone out there, um, but I really enjoyed it and it helped me. Um, but let's talk about Carnell because surely he's putting mm. his imprint on the style of football that's being played. It sounds like he kind of lets the players, you know, almost help him develop it by using some of their best traits. Um, what have you seen between, you know, a pressing style that we knew was going to be there versus some of the more nuanced football that you've seen from St. Louis at times? I think when you look at Bradley Cannell, I think everyone at the club is very much in tune of the style of football they want to play, right? You have the sporting director, then you have all the, the, the staff around the sporting director, and then you have the head coach and his staff. And I think there was a very, very clear idea of the style of football they want to play. And it's a high energy style of football, right? Um, it is a, a style of football where they target the players that can play an aggressive high line. Mm. Um, I think I seen seen when I was in St. Louis, it was really interesting because I, I was able to go and see some of the academy uh, teams play as well. And they all sort of played that, that aggressive high line style. Um, it's also was interesting then to see Canel kind of working with the group, right? Um, it's very detail oriented. It's 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 fascinating in terms of the details that they they look for. I mean, I was there and um, and I overheard, overheard a conversation um, with him and the, the the groundskeeper because they were looking at like getting the the grass perfect for their style of play because they wanted the ball to bounce right and the ball have the right speed so that they like. You know, like it's these little details that I find really fascinating. It's very nerdy, I know, <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's it's. Um, I think Canel is is a typical coach um, in that that he just wants to work with the players and make them better, mm-hmm. and he gives all these other stuff, the, all the details. You know, he gives that to Lutz and his staff, and I think there's a clear separation here of who's doing what, and I think that works quite well because. You oftentimes see head coaches or coaches who are not quite comfortable um, doing sort of the day-to-day stuff that doesn't involve coaching and making players better and then really getting lost. We had a great example in Vancouver, Mark Dos Santos, right, who I think mm. is actually one of the best coaches in, in MLS. Um, and, now, and now, of course, works with uh, Steven Gerundolo in, at LAFC um, quite successfully as an assistant coach, which I think in this regard, is almost a better role for him because Steven Gerundaluda does a lot of the, the FaceTime with the media and that sort of stuff, and Mark can just do what he wants and is working for coach. And I almost feel like it's a little bit of a similar dynamic at St. Louis, right, where you have Lutz, who is all over the media, and then you have Bradley doing what he can do best, and that's working with the players and making them better every day. 
Yeah, I think St. Louis fans will also uh, like to call out that Precky is now an assistant at Seattle who didn't mm-hmm. have that great of a career as, as a head coach but is thriving as an assistant over there. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I always think of Carnell as probably the hardest time in his career was when he had to sit here in St. Louis for almost a year and not coach anybody. Yeah, I, I could tell that that was, like, where he finds his joy. And <laughs> I don't know if he actually it. was that not – I mean – I, I met him in Vancouver mm-hmm. when they were here with the MLS Next Pro team, and I think he was maybe a bit more involved than we think. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not at all surprised <laughs> to hear that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, we've talked about him um, handling the players. I want to hear about some of your standout players, whether you knew it mm-hmm. or not, some of the, your favorite St. Louis players so far in the first three games of the season. Oh, man. I mean, I really am really impressed with Miggy Perez. Oh. Um, the way he's come onto the scene, young player, right? 17-year-old, uh, St. Louis native. Um, some controversy on whether or not he was found on a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the way it was described to me, that's where he was playing. Whether his club was playing there, uh, his club has better facilities or not, is not uh, the important part of the, the story here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought it's really impressive. I mean, he's he hasn't been flawless. Um, I think when in, in his start that he got against Portland towards the end, um, yeah. can't remember was it 60, 70 minutes. You could tell that it was getting a bit much to for him. But I mean, what do we expect? He's he's seventeen years old, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think there there is there is room to grow there. Um, I think that Joao Klaus has been a fantastic addition. Um, his work rate is unbelievable, yeah. right? Um, and I find it, um, I'm glad that he's finally found a place where he can, where he can play on a more consistent basis because he's, he went to Hoffenheim and then was sent out on loan over and over again. Right. And yeah. I think he just, um, needed a place where he can just call his home. And you can say something similar about Eduard Leuven, um, who I think looks impressive and is going to be a crucial player for this team. Um, throughout the year, right? As another guy who, who bounced around a lot, um, talking to his camp, I think he just he really just wanted to settle down for a bit and give a few years where he can just play his football and not need to worry about all this outside noise because there was a time when he was considered one of the most talented players in Germany, right? And um, for a reason, another for several reasons, it just didn't work out. But um, I think for him getting into thrown into a situation where he can just focus on his game um, for like maybe a couple of years, I think it's going to be really good at him. And then I think he's taking that opportunity hmm. with both hands, right? Um, I think he's been excellent. So, yeah, these are just some some players that have um, really stuck out to me. I think Kyle Hibbert is a great story too. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people in Canada are excited because center back is sort of a position where Canada has struggled. Yeah. And if he can emerge as a center back option, I think that'd be great. Um, he could very well, you know, use this opportunity to become a national team player and who knows, maybe make the 2026 uh, World Cup roster. I mean, is it out of the question he turns up on this Nations League uh, roster for CONCACAF? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Canada soccer is a mystery to many. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm glad I got to fit that in the the, the chat today, though. Um, the Leuven especially, and I could tell by the way I was talking about him, I hadn't looked at a mm. lot of tape on him. And so mostly what I looked up was, was Bochum and... Um, he didn't yeah. play a lot for Bochum, but his highlights were full of free kicks. So I thought, well, I don't know if this guy's any good. I know maybe we just signed him for his free kicks, which we've all seen are incredibly good and extremely yeah. useful. But my goodness, he's 
good in all phases of the game. He's been so good. And I could tell when I said I wasn't sure he was going to be that good. You got this smile on your face like you knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, right? Yeah. Because um, obviously he, he, he has been in a situation that hasn't been ideal. Um, and when you get a player that hasn't been in an ideal situation and put him into a new environment, you never know how it works out, yeah. right? Um, we do know that he had the skill sets um, to be successful. I mean, um, he's a guy who was a former junior national team player for Germany, right? And you, every time you have a situation like that, you just know, okay, well, this guy is obviously has all the skills, but why didn't it work out? And then you look at all the everything that surrounds the player and, okay, well, we know he has all the skills, Let's put him into a place where he can put it together. And sometimes dropping a level, and that's that's what he did, right? He moved from a Bundesliga team to MLS, can be a really good situation, especially when you're then completely removed from the noise of the German media. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm smiling because like you never know how it works out, but you, you do know that the talent level is there, right? And uh, I think in this regard, yeah, I think you know, St. Louis picked up a good player. Yeah, uh, I think we're all very thankful for that. And the story is a good one as well, if you haven't read up on Mm. it, uh, that Lutz told, I think, in your article, actually. Um, I want to talk about players who haven't quite emerged yet. Um, I have a favorite in this regard, and and maybe that's I'm more asking this question to see if you can comment on him. But are there any players on our roster that haven't quite shown their, their talent level quite yet in production, perhaps? It's really hard to make a statement like that after you've won three games in a row. <laughs> you, you know what? You're right. Well, you know, I just want to say, so clearly it's a biased question. I found mm. it interesting that Ostrak hasn't scored. He had one incredible chance that was just off, and it showed exactly yeah. his style of play. Shining there, his work rate's incredible, but he hasn't scored, mm. and he was um, not a starter against Portland. So I was just a little surprised at that, but um, I imagine asking you that question you're not too worried about him being able to shine later in the season. No, I'm not. And I mean, um, there's, there's still a finding process going on, right? Where you, you kind of putting together your roster and you, you have different situations, um, where you want to, where you want as a head coach to find out when you can use players, um, to the best of their abilities. Um, and of course, going into Portland, it's an extremely difficult place to play, and um, yeah. just down the coast from here, right? Um, there used to actually be a place that, oh, well, now that the border's open, I guess we can go back again. But um, <laughs> we used to do this as often as an away trip for Whitecaps, right? Because like the Cascadia rivalry between Whitecaps, Sounders, and Timbers is quite strong, and it's a fun, it's a fun um, away trip, um, and it's actually on my list this year. So it's a really difficult place to play because Portland is a real, real soccer city, mm-hmm. right? Um, they take their sport, they're very serious, similar to what you have in St. Louis, a magnificent stadium as well. Yeah. Um, one of the most historical grounds, I think, in U.S. soccer in general. And I think you then sort of need to manage your minutes among your players and the players that you have, right? And Ostrak is one. Of course, Ostrak is going to be very important for this for this team um, going down the road. And I, I think the expectations in him are very high. Um, I know the club was very proud when they were able to sign him because there was a lot of other teams that were in on him uh, in Germany. And Köln were very frustrated when the, when the signing was announced. And I know that there was uh, Bayern Munich's second team, for example, were interested in him as well. Um, so you have you have that you have high expectations then, right? That he's going to um, really make a difference. 
um, for for St. Louis eventually. I think we also need to pull, pull, um, point out uh, Nachpalo Blom as well. Mm. Um, he was, of course, sick. Um, missed, the, missed the game against Portland um, with what I've been told, a non-COVID illness, right? Um, and so, yeah, um, I think he's he had like his good moments, bad moments in the home opener. Um, I think he's a player that he's coming in from South Africa, right? Very high expectations. Um, the club really likes him. He's been compared to Tyler Adams, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for him, he's just a few weeks behind everyone in terms of his season prep. He's coming into a club that plays in very, as we pointed out, very aggressive style of football. Mm-hmm. And so for him, I think he's he's getting he's going to take some time until um, we can really see his full potential. Um, so that's maybe a guy where I'm saying, okay, uh, give it half a season and then we're going to see a lot from him. Yeah. And to be honest, he, you know, he's been saying nothing, but I'm not quite up to speed. I'm not quite up to speed. Yeah. So he was already better than I expected because I think my expectations were tempered. I think he's been very good. Um, not perfect, like you said, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think he's going to shine later down the road, especially. Um, let's see. Let's talk about... Um, Nielsen, before we get into the crazy one, uh, Nielsen's been out, but you said, like mm. you said earlier, Hubert's been doing a good job filling in, but Nielsen is a high quality center back. Um, so when he's back, it'd be interesting to see, does he step right in or not? And do they use him every game? And, and does our defense take a step up? Surely it will. Well, that's a good question. Um, what's the timeline on Nielsen? Do we know how an update three on months, that three, three months, three or four months? Okay, so that's quite a long time. Uh, yeah. So we won't see him till probably after the Leagues Cup. Um, Which might be a yeah. good break to, to kind of t- get him back implemented. Right, like, yeah, you probably wouldn't use him for the Leagues. Oh, you may use him for the Leagues Cup uh-huh. because you don't take that competition serious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That'd be my choice, yes. <laughs> yeah, because like, if, you, if, you're in the, if you're in a hunt for a playoff spot, do you care about the Leagues Cup? I mean, there's some teams out there that will care, yeah. obviously. And then it will be some that um, maybe pay less attention for it. I'm not saying the Leagues Cup is a bad competition or anything. You know, I think, actually think it's, it's quite exciting to see how, how that competition will turn out. But I think there will be some clubs that might say, hmm, is that three games that we need? Like, do we really need these extra games or do we take some time and say, okay, well, let's lick some wounds and um, mm-hmm. heal up, right? And these decisions are usually made not by the players because players want to win every game that they play in, um, but it's made by by the staff um, where you say, okay, well, we're not playing these guys because they need to heal. And um, then the results kind of dictate the rest. Um, but it's it's an interesting one because, like, yeah, Nielsen is, was one of these marquee signings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a player that um, comes in with a high profile um, has top four league experience and um, is obviously going to play a big part on how St. Louis are defensively structured. Um, so, yeah, I'm really curious to see when he comes back what kind of impact he's going to have. But it's also nice to see like someone like Kyle Hebert stepping up and really filling that role. Yeah, I've been, I think we've all enjoyed uh, seeing that in that goal, of mm. course, against Portland. Um, we got to talk about these Roberto Firmino rumors. Um, I know you chimed in on it yesterday or two mm. days ago when, when the announcement yeah. came. We don't have to talk about like whether or not it's true. You can say whatever you want. But I am curious, you know, mm-hmm. what would a guy like him look like on a team like St. Louis if it were to happen? 
Okay, so well, here's where we're at. Um, it's one of those things where you're frustrated when it comes out because you've known and you wait for the right time um, for it <laughs> to report on it when there's actually more substantial uh, news to it. Um, from what I was told a couple of weeks ago is that St. Louis has serious interest in Roberto Firmino. Mm. They then wanted to hold out on this for some time because um, the number one step is to put him on the discovery list, right? Um, which then signals serious intent to MLS that they are interested in signing the player. Unfortunately, the moment he was put on the discovery list, the story leaked. Yeah. Um, you, you could put one and one together how it leaked, right? Of course. It did not come from the club. It did not come from the agency. So it leaked at the moment it was put on the discovery list. Um, I was told that that's unfortunate, but that's how it is when you're in MLS, I guess. Um, they Here's the situation. Usually St. Louis do not want to sign players over 30 um, from top four leagues. There's a few exceptions, of course, Roman Berkey, because he is someone who can make uh, a substantial difference right away. Um, Roberto Firmino is a guy that they think could fit their style of football really well. He's a big name player. He's a star player. So he would, they would make an exception for to sign him. Um, but it's extremely difficult because Roberto Firmino is still a player who can play easily in the top four league, yeah. right? And at the moment, um, they are St. Louis is one of the clubs interested in MLS. There's a couple other ones. LAFC is one of them. You, they, they all have to file the discovery list with the league. Um, and the step one is to be first on that list, right? But even when you're first on that list, doesn't mean you're actually going to be able to sign the player, right? Because the player could still go to many other places. And at the moment, Inter Milan uh, in Italy, not to confuse with Inter Miami like some people did in my report, <laughs> I mean Inter Milan, the original Internazionale Milan in Italy, <laughs> a Champions League team playing in a top four league. That's they're sort of the favorites at the moment to land him. That's where he sees himself. Um, that's where Firmino wants to continue playing his football. Um, whether that means St. Louis are out of this, you, you never know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're still so early in the whole process of this. Um, as I said, it wasn't even really worth reporting um, before the, the, the discovery list process was actually concluded. Um, it's out now. You know, and um, it's a story now. Um, but, you know, it's so early and it's a very, very long shot. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's a long shot. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's the second most surprising signing rumor of the year to Ronaldo to SKC. <laughs> that would have been well, insane. Well, which is a true story. It's a true yeah. story as well, right? I mean, like, there's they, that, that story is real. Um, and they were close. They were really close. Mm-hmm. Right, because they have, of course, the Mahomes um, is playing at um, the Chiefs. They have this Kansas City, and I have to I guess I have to be careful how I'm going to word this. We're in St. Louis, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I am aware of the rivalry. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they it's it, although they are in the Midwest, they still have that sort of they they have shown in the past that they have the ability to sign star names. Two clubs operating there, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
And I mean, Mahomes is a great example of that, um, who has really taken the city on and the lifestyle on, right? And is a part-time, as a part owner of Sporting KC. So, I mean, it's not beyond um, teams. You know, everyone thought, oh, Ronaldo's on a go to Inter Miami, Galaxy, LAFC, New York City FC, or even Red Bulls because they're in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, you, you right away think there's only a few markets that are interested for these players. But um, as you saw there, they get they got close. Um, so, you know, there is a lot of cities in the U.S. that can easily compete whatever Saudi offers. Um, is, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I think we all tempered any, you know, thinking that nothing like this would ever happen. But the fact that mm-hmm. St. Louis, just yeah. the fact that their name is up there with, with Inter Milan um, is, a, is a cool thing. And Well, you have to also name. remember the history, right? Um, Lutz van Stiel has discovered Roberto Firmino. Yeah. He's known the player really well. Um, People and... are missing that, that he wasn't just at Hoffenheim when he came. He discovered no, Firmino. He, he discovered Firmino. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really close to this day and they still communicate with one another. So like, you know, that that can can be a factor. But if you're a player and you can still kick kick the ball a few years in Italy, yeah, in Milan, live in a fashion capital. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> pretty tempting. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. So you were also in town for a little while for St. Louis. You spent some time uh, with with the club for that season opener. Is there anything um, that you can kind of share with us about kind of the the club's next steps? Any any rumors or hints that of something that might be coming down the line or plans for the club that you could uh, kind of fill us in on uh, going forward? I think that, that the, the roster um, is pretty much complete. Um, I think when maybe the one thing that they still want to do is assign a right back um, mm. if the right option comes along. Um, they can also, I mean, Firmino points towards the fact that if the right player comes along, um, they will probably do something in that regard as well um, without having any plans to do it uh, in any time soon, right? Um, but yeah, I think the right back is one a role that they would really like to fill um, just to give it some more depth. Yeah. Um, but I think when it comes to really urgent matters, hmm, I, I, you never know because like any club in the world, the when an opportunity comes, it's an opportunity business, right? Yeah. Um, and you want to be in a position where you can uh, strike when the opportunity comes around. And I think they're very much very well placed in that regard um, in terms of like, okay, well, um, we have open roster slots. We have open slots in terms of who we can assign. Um, We have that DP slot that we can use. um, So when an opportunity comes along, they can strike. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's any urgency at the moment to do anything. Yeah, that's cool. We we are ready to go. And so that is nice that they're they're able Mm -hmm. to do that. So um, and the right back thing makes sense, too. I found it a little strange that, um, you know, Fullbacks cover a lot of ground in a game, and Nelson's only come off for maybe 20, 30 minutes, I think. Maybe mm-hmm. less than that. So in three games. So we're really riding these guys, and we could use some depth. So yeah, that's helpful. Thank you very much. And the summer window is... It's kind of weird kind of how MLS is because we rely on the winter window to start a season, but that summer window is so much better, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because you have more players available, right? Yeah. Um, we, we just talked in great lengths about Firmino. He would be only available in the summer window. Um, for example, right? Um, yeah. That's when you can capitalize on European clubs wanting to get rid of players <laughs> or like free agents being available. Um, 
So like, yeah, because of the way world football works and the way the biggest leagues operate, uh, the summer window is the one that's the most interesting. Yeah. Well, is there anything I missed? Uh, I want to make sure you get everything in that you want to talk about. No, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, I mean, I really appreciate you having me on today. I really enjoyed talking. Um, I think we, we kind of shed some more details into some of the reports that are out there yeah. as well, I think, which is really interesting. And yeah, it's been, it's been a fun start to the season. Long may it last. Long may it last. I love it. Yeah, we'll see how long we can keep it going, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, and well, thanks so much for joining me, man. We'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Cheers to the line. <laughs>